Welcome to Important Not Important. My name is Quinn Emmett. And I'm Brian Colbert Kennedy. Uh, that was very, um, who's that famous news anchor? Concrete. Uh, concrete? Concrete? Walter Concrete. <laughs> Anyways, this Cronkite. is the podcast where we try our hardest to bend the motherfucking arc of the universe towards a more livable planet for you, for me, and for everybody else. We're going to dive into a specific question affecting everyone on the planet right now. Mm -hmm. If it can kill us or make the future a hell of a lot cooler for everyone, we are in. Who's our guest? Well, I'm glad mm -hmm. you asked. We've mm -hmm. had scientists, doctors, engineers, politicians, astronauts. We had a reverend. Yep. Uh, and we work together toward action steps that our listeners can take with their voice and their dollar and sometimes their vote. Yep. Occasionally when they show up. Yeah. Uh, this is your friendly reminder. You can send questions, thoughts, ransom notes, and such. Maybe even a cat to us. Don't uh, send On Twitter cat. at importantnotimp, or you can email us at funtalk at importantnotimportant.com. You can also join tens of thousands of other smart people and subscribe to our free weekly newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. Mm -hmm. This week's episode is How Death Metal is Going to Fix Our Somewhat Pressing Land Reconfiguration Issues. That's a good title. It is, isn't um, it? Our guest is Dr. Yada Locker, who's over there kicking ass and taking names at the Smithsonian. And we're here for it. Here for it. This was a great conversation. Loved it. Um, enthusiastic, fired up. Uh, I was going to say So feisty. capable, so smart. Clearly one of those ones where, again, the guest is using 10% of her yeah. brain to engage with us on the basest level. And we appreciate it. Yeah, all for it. Uh, anyways, let's, uh, let's find out how people can get their hands dirty and, uh, help nice. solve this little issue. Great yeah, you're one. welcome. Wow. I got puns, kid. Here we go. Bye. Our guest today is Iada Locker, and together we're going to talk about how to redesign our lands from 30,000 feet up down to the soil, Brian, uh, because we need to, or else that's it. And it's fun. Uh, Iada, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. We are thrilled to have you. Thrilled. Um, let's get going by, uh, if you don't mind, just letting everybody know um, who you are and what you do. Sure. Um, my name is Dr. Locker. I am a land use ecologist at the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute, and I also run and operate, um, I'm owner co-owner of a small nursery based out of Northwestern Virginia called Seven Bends Nursery. Um, with all of the work that I do, I'm really focused on sustainable planning and sustainable living. So we conduct the science to produce information for use in planning and land use and conservation. And um, through the nursery, I want to provide access to plant material so that homeowners can do the same at small scales. Awesome. Um, sounds very well put together. Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> Brian, by the end of the day, I want you to have a job description that concise for what you do here. We can't all have those. What? Well, she's obviously worked very hard to put that together. I'm just saying you could do something similar. <sighs> all right, we'll figure it out. Okay, great. Back to Yada. Um, <laughs> a quick reminder for everyone, uh, what we're doing here, uh, we're going to provide some uh, context for our question or topic at hand today, mm -hmm. and then we'll dig into some uh, action-oriented questions that get to the heart of why we should all give a shit about it and uh, what we can all do about it. Does that sound about right? That sounds about right. Rock and roll. Uh, mm -hmm. Dr. Locker, we start with one important question to really set the tone of this conversation today. Uh, instead of saying, tell us your entire life story, as interesting as we're positive it is, we like to ask, Dr. Locker, why are you vital to the survival of the species? So. 
I have listened to several of your you episodes. Cheater. <laughs> you got a cheater. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think what I want to start off with is I individually am probably not. Um, mm. What I do we'll think is that. <laughs> is that we need people who are willing to um, kind of be a jack of all trades to understand how to connect to communities um, across the globe, across all types. Um, and that includes, you know, communities of politicians or those that make the decisions that really define how we live our lives. I think that that's really why I, quote, could be vital to the survival of humankind. Um, we also need people who are going to be thinking about how to change systems that don't currently work. So for me, that is both within the system of academia, which has been operating in a particular way for hundreds of years, um, and it doesn't work for us anymore in the way that I think it should. And also providing, you know, like I was saying before, access to materials so that individuals can actually feel like they have some sort of power over their own lives and their futures. Yeah, that sounds... I love when we get like an answer that is, you know... You just go like, oh, that's the best answer. Uh, yeah, I mean, to be clear, she cheated. <laughs> However, Still, the result was wonderful. Um, no, that was that was fantastic. However, fueled by a Bloody Mary, it might be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whatever gets it done. I love it. Uh, I'm excited about it and, and thankful for you already. We're going to talk about a little just quick context for today. We're not going to make it too long because we've talked about agriculture and land use in, in a variety of different ways, because obviously it's super important. We've talked about super sciencey versions, like the conversation we had about uh, how our fruits and vegetables are half as nutritious as they used mm -hmm. to be. Um, that was episode number... Was that I, I don't really, huh? It was Christy Ebby. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Dr. Christy Ebby. Uh, that was pretty fascinating stuff. You could go down a thousand different variations. The story is, is like, what can we do about, everybody asked me, the Uber driver, what can we do about climate change? And it's like, there's so many things going on, right? We've got the fossil fuels, which is what we all focus on. There's natural gas, but it's clean. It's not. Fracking. So we've got electric vehicles and maybe one day electric planes mm -hmm. and maybe electric powered ships and solar farms and solar roofs and wind turbines in the plains and huge wind turbines off the coast. And it's not those sexy things you hear about all the time are not enough because we've got what most of our land is, is, is agriculture and farms, many, most of which are huge and some of which are small. Uh, those are dwindling out. We've got, what do we do to our animals and our plants with antibiotics and fertilizer? And what's the health of our seeds? And in America, we grow mostly corn and, and soy and we try to sip it to China, but sometimes we're not allowed to. And, forests are burning or being cut down and then there's drought and, and monocrops and diversity, yada, yada. Our lands have helped slow the tide of climate change and they could do so much more if, if we let them do what they do. And the IPCC, which is uh, the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, for those of you that are new, they said in 2018 <clears throat> that drastically rebuilding our land use from top to bottom has to be a central pillar of this climate fight. Question is, are we willing to do what it takes, which is a lot of different things? Are we ready to reforest the world and, and before that to stop deforestation? So that's what we're going to get into today to talk about redesigning how we use our lands from, from 30,000 feet up uh, down to the soil. So uh, one last bit of context to get where we're going today. And I, I'm mm -hmm. hoping you can fill some things in. Um, sure. 
everyone's really excited about trees, which is awesome, right? There's a report uh, from last year. It says the earth can sa- could handle 500 billion more trees, which could help remove two thirds of the carbon we've pumped into our atmosphere. It sounds great. 500 right? billion. Yep. <clears throat> and, and that's obviously a hell of a task. It's a hell of a payout, but that mm-hmm. is going to be a lot more complicated than it sounds. Can you talk to us about how land is currently divvied up and why we can't just plant trees everywhere to fix yeah. that? Sure. Just um, kind of get in every, we, we tr- try to basically put our listeners on the same page because, you know, so many of our listeners are urban or, or don't mm-hmm. go into forests mm-hmm. or haven't traveled that much, or if they have, it's not to go to forests and things like that. So, so I want to paint a picture of them and this is how the land is currently used and why we can't, why we can plant a hell of a lot of trees, but we can't just plant them everywhere and any trees we want. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there are a couple of points here. First, I would be to whoever's listening, be cautious about these studies that, you know, give you explanations about what's happening across the entire globe. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, the purpose of that is to provide some perspective um, and sense of scale with the kind of resources we have. Second, yes, planting trees is a, I please plant trees, you know, ideally native trees to wherever your region is. Right. Um, they, they can operate there. There are no other systems that we have that are man-made that do as good a job of taking carbon out of the atmosphere and putting it in the ground. And then on top of that, provide habitats, um, resources that are important for us, you know, economically and also for our well-being in terms of, you know, our health and natural environment and all the species that depend on them. Now, there is a lot of land surface across the globe, but most of that, there's a lot of land surface that actually isn't really accessible by humans and is covered by ice. A lot of that land surface is currently used for agriculture. There are ways that we can probably improve upon how we use those agricultural lands. Then there's a lot of land that is, you know, has a lot of trees on it already, uh, like within the tropics or arboreal regions of, of the globe. I think it would be, I think it's important to recognize that Probably the best use of this landscape is for us to be able to strategically plan for a balance. Um, mm-hmm. So studies like this that say, hey, we could plant so ever, however billions more trees aren't necessarily giving the message that we should be strategically planning for a balanced use of our landscape. So I'm hesitant to just drop in and say, this is the solution. There is no one solution. Sure. Just like a diverse economic portfolio is good for you making money or planning your retirement out, we need a diverse portfolio for planning for our future, for the ecologic systems on Earth. So no one solution is going to work. It's a combination of a lot of things. Sure, sure. So you, thank you for that, by the way. Um, and, and that is, you know, I think people get frustrated and put their head in the sand a little bit when I hear that, but I also think it's important to say, it's like when people say, talk about agriculture, and I'm like, cool, do you want me to talk about runoff? Do you want me to talk about soil? Do you want me to talk about fertilizer? Do you want me to talk about antibiotics and animals? It's like, you know, that's why we've talked about the ocean 40 different ways and land and air and, and things like that, because yeah. it, it's it's complicated, and, and it should be, but, you know, we, we need to start addressing these things and help people really understand both on the local level uh, and also just the, the greater ecosystem contextual level. Yeah. So go this, ahead. this actually um, taps into something very important for me, which is a message I would like to deliver through the podcast. Please. please. Is that uh, in a way I'm kind of talking to myself or people who think like me, who, um, who are very concerned, who have a lot of empathy and compassion and want to do something to improve our world. I 
get worried about these messages of here's the solution and you can do it and just do this and everything will be fine. Or these these kind of maybe too optimistic visions of what the future could hold. They have to be balanced also. We don't, working in the environmental field is a very depressing world. Um, so we need those 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 um, signals of hope and optimism in order to keep going. And mm-hmm. I, I want to deliver that as well, but it has to be based in realism. And I think that the real solution for moving forward for, you know, really keeping climate change at bay and preventing the extinction of hundreds of species across our globe and, and really promoting equality and access to resources for, for all humans needs to be based in some form of reality, which is, you know, going to be, it's going to be really, really hard. It is going to require individuals to step up more than they probably realize. Mm-hmm. It's going to require that in form of your daily practice, um, whatever you do, you know, day to day with energy use or resource use or consumerism, but also contacting your representatives and voting. And there is hope because we see that the systems on this earth are incredibly resilient. Life wants to live. We just need to find a way in order to let it do so. So that's kind of what I'm hoping I can deliver to some degree to somebody listening in. Um, whenever you're listening into this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly texting and driving, to be clear. No. Um, <laughs> so if they're also planting a tree, we've sent the entirely wrong message. Yeah. But don't do while you drive. Um, <laughs> so, Yada, you are uh, working at a really interesting place, which is this this nexus of science with the Smithsonian and policy and quite literally, and I feel like I'm using literally correct as opposed to most uh, versions of it at the grassroots level mm-hmm. and it's it's really cool because it's almost like this form of community organizing right i mean you sent yeah. an email to me that it's it's time and i really love this that science gets off the shelf and we put it to use and you are so perfectly uh situated to do that because you are a scientist um so <laughs> most people even our nerdy listeners maybe not the nerdiest but but a lot of our listeners, even the Congress people that are listening or business people, but th- most of them will have will read or will have read the IPCC report, whichever one about the oceans or the lands from their mainstream news sources, right from their Washington Post and such. Um, and, and many of them, if not most of them, are probably urban or urban adjacent. And we, we've talked about that. They don't really have this connection to the soil that our, our grandparents did in the generations before to their food. Um, right. to their distribution uh, to, to our forests. So paint a little picture for us um, about how you, uh, Iata, are, are stepping up and, and working with actual humans to get science off the shelf and into the hands of um, consumers and landowners. Sure. Well, step one is, is realizing that um, as a scientist, I don't necessarily have although I was probably better prepared than many people, all the skills necessary to be able to communicate effectively with people. And it's not just communicating your message as a scientist to people like, hey, here's the research I did. Here's the results I found now. Isn't that great? Go do something with it. <laughs> right. um, but like meeting them at their level, and that's not a level of intelligence. That's not what I mean by that. I mean, meeting them at the level of what are their needs, what is relevant to what they they are doing on a daily basis, you know, how does their world operate and really being able to at least begin to understand and listen to what you hear when they tell you, here is what I need. Here's how my world works. Uh, 
what you have right now is great. I understand it, but I don't think I can use it for for this purpose. What I really need is there's this pressing issue happening right now, and there are all these competing factors. And so how do I take this information and really even promote it in my world? Um, so I think going out to the community, communicating with the stakeholders in the region, which may be county, government planners, policymakers, community leaders who are really entrenched in trying to make a difference in their world. Um, these these conveners of people of minds, you know, really getting the message from from the individual. What so I, where I live here in northwestern Virginia, where our project is based, it's a really diverse mix of land uses across the landscape. So we've got um, intense development pressure coming from the Washington, Baltimore metropolitan area. Um, we've got a mix of forests. We've got a couple of really, really beautiful protected areas. Um, they're publicly owned. We have a lot of agriculture. This used to be the breadbasket for the country when it was you know, founded, before it was even founded. And we have a lot of really deep cultural and historic aspects to this landscape as well. And I think you have to be aware that there are people who will intrinsically value the environment. And some of those people may work in government and may work in planning, but don't necessarily have the tools to be able to promote those ideas. Mm -hmm. And then you have farmers who have been here for generations who don't feel like they have a voice and they don't feel like people are listening to them. Sure. And I think you really need to, you can't join the party as simply a scientist. You have to be willing to plead ignorance because I, I am ignorant to what is really going on in the lives of different people here and listen to the message and take it honestly and try your best to integrate it into the science itself and the process of the science you are, you are working on. So from the very beginning, from developing the questions of importance to the mm -hmm. audience, to what is the ultimate goal? If you don't think about these things from the start, your product will not end up being relevant and useful to the people who you may fully intend to have made it useful for. So there's that piece. And I think, you know, I got a little jaded after a while because we weren't seeing a lot of rapid progress. And so I started kind of breaking away from the academic system a bit. And, and that actually, in a way, brought a little bit more credibility than I realized it would bring. And in the development of this nursery, I now think that it's actually benefiting. It's a two-way benefit where the job I have benefits the nursery through the connections I have. And then the nursery gives a lot of street cred because I'm a farmer now. You You're know, walking I, the walk. I mean, it's really a small scale. I am not trying to claim that I am like these people who have been here farming for sustenance for, for hundreds of years. For but, sure, but um, it's still yeah, beyond it, what most folks have, yeah, have you done. you deserve the credit. Yeah, but I, I think people know, people see now that I'm, I care, and I care about developing the community that I am living into, that I own it. I own this as my home as well. Not right. just doing this to then produce something and leave. So I think there are, it's patience, it's, trying to be recognized where you are naive and where you are wrong, um, trying your best to learn, identifying the skills that you have and the ones that you don't, and what can you work on and what do you need to find additional help for. But I, I love all of that because, I mean, like you said, you, you said, I'm ignorant. I mean, that's basically how Brian and I feel every day, talking to all of you people, <laughs> right. the smartest people in the world, which is just like, you know, we're, 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 we're nerdy about this, but I mean, we're still, that's why we call them conversations instead of interviews. Cause we're trying to stand in for, you know, all of our listeners who are interested in this stuff, but uh, don't have the access or, or the ability to ask the questions and really engage in this shit, but they care about it. Right. 
Mm-hmm. But that is also science, which is like the, the act of science is getting things wrong until you stumble on something. You know, it is the scientific method, which is like, you're not trying, no one's trying to prove a hypothesis correct, right? You're trying to right. defeat it. And and I think that's where most people, get, you know, who were just shouting into the ether about how scientists lead them astray or scientists think they know everything. It's like, no, it's the opposite. You know, mm-hmm. what's that great quote? Is it Asimov? Who's like, it's not about... uh it's not about uh, Eureka. It's about like, that's, oh, yeah. you do an experiment. It's like, that's funny. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden you get fucking penicillin. So yeah, but at the I same love time, that story. Yeah. But at the same time, you <laughs> compare it, that sense of, of humbleness and ignorance before science, but also before, like you said, people who have been farming for sustenance for hundreds of years, you know, there, there's so many, that mindset is so important to employ. And I think about, you know, the people out here who live on the west side of Los Angeles and who put their kids in private schools and don't vaccinate them because they think because they've made a bunch of money doing whatever the mm. fuck they do, mm-hmm. that they don't, that they are smarter than their doctors and the scientists. And, right. and there's, such, there's a complete opposite of that sense of a need for humbleness and, and ignorance. And clearly they're not scientists or they wouldn't appreciate that, you know, and how difficult it is. And how, you know, whatever Edison had, I told my kid the other day when he was like, I've tried five times. I was like, let me tell you about the fucking light bulb. 40,000 <laughs> light bulbs, you know? Um, but it's, mm-hmm. it's, it is so helpful. And, and especially like you said, you know, you're on a small scale, but to go into these, to go into your community and say, I want to try too, mm-hmm. requires that. Because you would have got your ass kicked if you hadn't, right? I think people, most people are good people. I think most people can also read people really well. I think you can tell who's genuine and who is not. Right. So I think that's something that's really important. That no matter what you're doing in life, that whatever it is, um, you succeed so long as it is truly you. That's I believe that anyway. Right. I, I want to believe that. We're working on it over <laughs> here. Working on it. Thank you for this therapy session. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yada, this is. Uh, I sort of love this question, and I'm yeah. not. Mm-hmm. I didn't come up with it, so that's why I can say that. And I feel like we should ask everybody it. I I, I love it. Uh, can you just take us through like a, a typical day for you or maybe a, f- a few days if uh, maybe one okay. day isn't as exciting. Five to day, like a, like a week, I think is what they call a few. Like it's a, a few a days, in a, days in a row, a yes. week. Yeah. Maybe yeah. take us through a, <laughs> That's the a word typical, maybe a little exciting uh, week for you so we can all, uh, I don't know, just sort of grasp what, what it's like. Yeah. To be. Sure. I had a really exciting week last week. So, oh my God, um, that's amazing. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it's a combination of a lots of things. Right now, as project lead for the Changing Landscapes Initiative, I, I manage a few people. So I've got um, got a lab manager that does work. He's our spatial an- analyst. He's been with me for about four years. Um, I have a GIS or spatial analyst intern that kind of rotates every six months or so. And then we have a, a outreach and communications coordinator, which these positions, aside from the lab manager, are fairly new within the past year. And I've really because of that, been able to promote our project and really gain um, some traction on the ground, which is really exciting. So Mm -hmm. it's a lot of meetings. Um, I think at this level, there's, I started out in this field wanting to spend time outside. I do a lot less of that now than I ever did before. And so I spend a lot of time writing, um, thinking about what are the big questions? How can we advance the field of conservation? Um, For me, particularly, it's about landscapes and and you know analytical methods that may allow us to answer broad sweeping questions in a you know relatively rapid amount of time because the world is changing very very fast and we don't have perfect data so how can we use imperfect data to get close enough 
to an answer where we can move forward and be effective in strategic planning. Um, so there's like big picture kind of thinking, which is I think most fun part of my job. Yeah. Um, and then meetings with people, you know, budgeting, all this fun. It's like fun, <laughs> sciencey, running a lab kind of stuff. Um, but then we have opportunity to, you know, give talks at events um, and promote conservation and strategic planning. And I talk with, I just went to a meeting this past Saturday where I met with people in Richmond. And it was a really good meeting where there was a lot of concern for for diversity in many forms of humanity and um, how, how important it is to think about that when planning for our future. The um, Someone who I don't remember who was, I think it was superintendent of the, of the, the park, the river park there, James River, I think, mm-hmm. that goes through Richmond, mm-hmm. um, made a statement. It was very obvious, but I felt a little annoyed that it had to be made in this way because it's like calling it out in a way that if it existed in the world, it wouldn't necessarily require you to call it out in the way they did. But he said, you know, in two decades, we'll have a majority minority country population in the United States. Right. And if we don't get those kids and those people out enjoying nature, the people who want to protect nature are the people that have experience in it. And therefore we could lose these systems. We could lose the political will in order to protect the systems if we don't get them out. So that was really inspiring and very obvious, really important, I think, to have a meeting focused on that. And then you talk talk to policymakers and planners and conservationists, and you get these great ideas for, you know, what people need and how you can use your work in order to help them you know, achieve their mission or their goals. And then the other thing is I have some field components to my research, which I design, but I don't necessarily participate in anymore. Mm-hmm. And one of those we're working on right now is on the the protection of native North American orchids. So there are Ooh. about, there are over 200 species of native orchids in North America, mm. over half of which are threatened or endangered in some part Shocker. of their native range. Right. Yeah. And we have started a study to try to understand if native orchids can be used as an early indicator or canary in the coal mine for changes in forest health. Like coral reefs. Yeah, like coral reefs. We had a whole great conversation (laughs) about how they were exactly the canary in the coal mine. And turns out, it's not going great. (laughs) No, I know. It's pretty sad. But it's one of those projects that, you know, I'm a plant person. I get to work with orchids again. I, I get to work with nerdy plant people outside, which is really awesome. And that project involves citizen scientists. So um, and private landowners. So we really get a human component, uh, an education component to the project, which I think is also really important for its success. And people care about orchids. I think people are surprised that people there aren't any orchids or that there are native orchids. Right. And so it's this um, charismatic species that can help us really promote the importance of forest conservation versus just, you know, protection of species. And there's a lot of mentoring that I do through my job. I really, I... If it's an employee of mine, I, I mean, I consider myself a mentor no matter what stage I am in my career or they are in their career. So that's a really, really fun and very important. I take it very seriously, try to make time for it in, in my busy schedule. And then um, pretty much my nights and, and weekends are taken up by running this, this nursery. So my life is pretty full. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's all of it, I think, adds adds to the quality of my life. And I think, like I said before, it feeds back on itself. So that's so great. I know it'd be so imagine if you were like, well, didn't do much this week. (laughs) Yeah. 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 uh, Doesn't sound like how she spends her time. There's so many orchids. I'm just looking up orchids now. This is Brian's going to just be quiet. Googling orchids. The rest of the conversation. The the, the names of these orchids are just so fun. Mm -hmm. Quayblade. 
Oh, that's a good one. The it's, flowers are really cool. They're yep. gorgeous. What about yep. grass pinks? Oklahoma grass pinks. You like those? I don't, I don't think I know that one off the top of my head. I mean, I'm just reading off. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Yada, t- talk to us about uh, your biggest obstacles. You're, you know, you're obviously working so hard to push science and, and policy and on the ground efforts uh, forward on what sounds like uh, every front. I think um, she's doing everything. <laughs> you're just doing all, all the things. things. Yep. But I can't imagine that it's easy. Uh, you know, it's a hell of a thing that you're trying to do and and that we have to do. So yeah, t- just talk to us about your obstacles. Are, are they, you know, are they policy-based or, I don't um, know, I guess people-based? You want to call out some names? <laughs> no, not on this, no. <laughs> sure, how far into that? Whatever you want, area. that's right. <laughs> let's let's um, do this thing. Right. Well, aside from funding, which is, I think is pretty much every scientist, one of right. their major obstacles, um, it would be operating in a system that is uh, not necessarily designed for promoting the real integration of science into policy. Um, there's the academic world. The Smithsonian is an academic institution. Like many universities, uh, publications really are the name of the game. So it's it's really hard to have when most of your job and your time is taken up by um, you know having these meetings and communicating with policymakers and producing materials that are are not for publication in a scientific journal, but rather, you know, for a website or a glossy two-pager that's uh, an overview of your project so that you can hand them out at meetings um, or other tools that to try to explore how can I better communicate science in a way that's that's more accessible to people. So, you know, we're exploring right now the use of data visualizations to communicate the outputs of these land use change models on our landscape because mm-hmm. it turns out maps are not the most effective communication tool to most of the public or even people in, in planning. So I think it's the system. You know, I hate you. It's like, it's almost like it's a horror movie, quote, the system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is really probably the singular biggest obstacle for people who are working in science in the academic realm mm-hmm. is trying to maintain the requirements for your job which are based on an on an old, you know, an old suite of policies that date back probably hundreds of years, and then balance that with the work that's really required in order to integrate the needs of people into your work and to then communicate it effectively. Mm-hmm. So the best way I can think of to move forward with that is to really just I I dig my heels in and I try my best to figure out where where it is that my ethics lie and integrity lies and um, try to hammer that into the minds of of my interns and the people that I mentor and just realize that if one day what I deem to be really important for the work that I'm doing is not going to be appreciated or could cost me my job, which is not going to happen because I have mm-hmm. very supportive, I have a very supportive boss, but that, that then so be it, that there, I will find another way. So I'm I think it. that's, that's it. Yeah. yeah. I'm into it. So give us an example of something that's, I don't want to say standing in your way, but slowing you down or that you got to figure out in the past couple of weeks or so. I'm trying to help listeners really understand, you know, the, the fight you guys are fighting. Okay. Well, I mean, I mentioned, you know, that we have to write a lot of papers. We have sure. to write grants. We have to raise money, but that's, that's maybe a bit disconnected. I think in terms of the next level, when you are able to overcome that obstacle and move forward, it's, it's like I was saying before, you have to, what are the needs of people? 
how do you find out what those needs are when somebody's going to communicate them honestly to you? And I don't want to just hear the, yeah, this is a great project or this sounds wonderful. I want to hear that. What's the gross stuff? What's the <laughs> hard stuff? What's the stuff that you is not working for you? I don't, yep. you know, I want to hear that. I want an honest conversation. Otherwise we can't move forward with something effectively. So um, I think building that relationship, um, gaining that credibility to be able to have those conversations with people so that you can have those, those, um, that information you can tie into your science from the start, you know, I think that's really important. So I develop models. It's really, how disconnected can you be? I develop models about how the world changes and I form relationships, right. statistical relationships about drivers of change, which are like, what are the underlying socioeconomic drivers for why development happens where it does or why agriculture happens where it does? And then how probable is a particular land use transition? You know, I, that's how I used to talk. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, so <laughs> reaching beyond that and being able to say, okay, no, from the beginning, what are the questions that matter to you? And then me as a scientist doing the hard work of saying, okay, there's the qualitative information. How can I tie this into a number that means something? It's not just, I'm not pulling it out of my butt. So that's forming the relationships to get the real honest answers and then trying to understand and work through a system of tying that information back into science from the very beginning of the process. And that means developing the questions, identifying the data so that at the end, your product is relevant and useful to people. That's been a four-year trip yeah. for us here. And um, I've been pretty adamant and tried to use my resources to the best of my ability, which were fairly limited at the beginning. But I think at this point, we are, we're, now, we're now seeing some signs of success. And that if you just keep repeating yourself, you know, that you say, no, this is important. This is the way it has to work. Mm -hmm. I feel this, that eventually you can get there. And, and so now we're seeing our work being integrated into county comprehensive planning. And granted, a plan is not an outcome, but it, it's a start. Sure. So it's a really, really big win for us. Hey guys, it's Quinn. If you're listening to this, you obviously like podcasts and you probably like music too. On Spotify, you can listen to all of that in one place for free. You don't even need a premium account. On Spotify, you can follow your favorite podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can download episodes to listen to offline, wherever you might be, and you can easily share what you're listening to with your friends via Spotify's integrations with social platforms like Instagram. Spotify has a huge catalog of podcasts on every topic, including the one you're listening to right now. You can just search for Important Not Important on the Spotify app or browse podcasts in the Your Library tab. Very convenient. And of course, you can follow us so you never miss an episode of Important Not Important. Uh, Spotify is the world's leading music streaming service, and now it can be your go-to for podcasts, too. First of all, the, thank you. That all sounds so awesome and empowered. It also somewhat sounds like Thanos' speech from Avengers, which is like he's <laughs> gaining power and making progress, and everyone's like, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I'm on board with it. Um, we're going to digress. Do is most of that, like you just said, you're starting to see your efforts integrated into things like county planning, which is awesome. Are those generally incoming calls or are those outgoing calls? Or are they cold calls? How does that a connection like that happen these right now? And how yeah. would it optimally happen as we kind of head towards action? Sure. I think 
it's um, the responsibility of, unfortunately, um, scientists have a lot on their plates. I get that. Uh, but it is our responsibility <laughs> yeah, to, um, at the very least, understand how important it is. And if you don't have the capacity to do it yourself, to find help in some form, I, I understand how difficult that can be as well. Mm -hmm. But it's cold calling. It's getting, it's like getting your hands dirty. It's jumping in and failing miserably and learning through the process and just being willing to be pretty vulnerable mm -hmm. with the process. I, the ideal would, and then you garner the support and we've garnered some support, you know, thus far, the ideal would be that the tools exist to guide scientists through this process, mm -hmm. bare minimum. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, above that, that the public, you know, people are involved in making decisions that, that determine how we operate on a daily basis as individuals feel comfortable and know how to contact us for the information as well. So there's, it becomes a two, two way street versus, you know, kind of this feels like running around like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to figure out what the answer is and where to go and how sure. do I do this and, and who do I talk to and do they care and how do I know they care? Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty hard, but I think science transparency is probably a key to this yeah. and um, better communication through the general media about what we do on a mm -hmm. daily basis. And mm -hmm. that if I get, which I've never gotten a multimillion grant, if I were to get one, mm -hmm. that it, it isn't going in my pocket and I'm not buying a fancy car. Mm -hmm. You know, that money, we stretch it as far as we possibly can in order to achieve what the outcomes that we need in terms of our research. This might be... Yeah. in entirely uninformed and too simplistic, but are there two, I think about, you know, and this isn't quite that, but they're, they're on their way and they're doing amazing stuff. What, what uh, project drawdown has done, mm. but uh, are there within your work and the outreach? And like you said, running around like a chicken with your head cut off, are there two? So if I'm a County commissioner or planner, um, if I'm on, you know, County planning committee, are there, are there templates out there? Are there, are there, you know, uh, brainstorming packages? Are there sort of things out there, blueprints that are repeatable for a lot of these folks, at least to get them started, at least to get the conversation started? Or, hey, this is who you reach out to. These are the things to consider. You know, this is where it applies to you that obviously things change by county and region mm -hmm. and, and, and uh, you know, which side of the Mississippi you're on. But I I'm curious, do, do things like that exist or is it all pretty ad hoc? Right. Most, yes, pretty ad hoc, most of it. The tools, some tools like that do exist. The fear, I think, is that for a misinterpretation of what scientific data is. So I think for myself as well, I wouldn't necessarily be pri providing public access to our models. Mm -hmm. You know, the models of land use, they take pixels, which are interpretations of data, and then they project them into the future. So a pixel representing development, a model is an oversimplification of a world. So the fear is that it would be interpreted as a prediction versus, you know, an understanding mm -hmm. of a system. So their scenario planning is the framework I use for the research I do at Smithsonian. Um, and there are tools people have produced. I think there's one in the Bay area of California that is pretty nice um, where you can log on to this website and then, um, you know, look at what is the future scenario that is some has some particular characteristics and look at the potential impacts of that on your region's, you know, water or economy. But these are not planning happens at a scale that is much finer resolution. 
um, and in terms of spatially and also topically. So really it requires you know, a one-on-one -on -one or a closer at least relationship between planners and the scientific community in order to really apply this work in planning. So county planners are looking at what's happening in a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. You know, how does what's going to happen to the stream? Sure. This riverside, sure. you know, what, what about the view shed here that, that my residents care about and are worried about, you know, being marred by a, a new solar facility or, sure. or cell tower or something. And, and so the only way is like I was saying at the beginning, it's not easy. It's, it requires a change in how we all think. And I think transparency sure. and communication are the key. So I love to produce. We're trying to find a way to produce tools. I think the tools we produce as well are going to be fairly general. Right. So it right. would be good for understanding, you know, generally, like you see those, those sea level rise tools or, mm -hmm. or emissions mm -hmm. tools, you know, from climate change, mm -hmm. what could happen if. Sure. And, and you can't zoom into your house and say it will flood or not. Right. But it gives you a sense. Right. Gives you a sense of what right. would happen. I mean, some places, you know, if they've seen flooding in the past couple of years, can probably look at it and be like, this is going to get worse. Yeah. Um, right. But, you know, for others who might be a few miles inland or not quite near a major river or something like that, they've probably got some questions. But, you know, we're just always trying to help people. There's just so many people who go like, can you just tell me what I need to pay attention to or what I need to do? And, and they have a variety of roles. You know, they could work in a sanitation department, you know, m managing county recycling programs that are just like, wait, China doesn't take our shit anymore or yeah. flooding or, you know, there, there's just so many different uh, people in our audience who, who I think are so many are doing amazing work and so many are just going like, I, I, I don't know where to start. Um, right. So on, on, on that note, though, and, and getting a little closer to consumers or our listeners who might not be uh, planners. So sure. obviously one of the major uses of land uh, is for food. Um, mm -hmm. But according to, you know, so much research and, and our and our diets, we're, we're growing or and or raising, you know, a lot of the wrong food on, on our farmlands. And so the problem is, is going forward, we need to produce more food uh, for more citizens uh, using less land, because it turns out we need a lot, a lot of that land back to do different things. Um, right. And, and what that probably means when you start to think about health as well is um, and and literally the health of the soil and and our own health is a is a vastly different diet. So mm -hmm. there yes. there is a report that says if Americans switch to and again these are just so across the board, but I, I do think they illustrate a picture that if I think it said Americans switch to a nutritionally equivalent diet, uh, demand for cropland would fall something like thirty percent, and diet related emissions would fall like thirty to forty percent, which is a lot, obviously. I mean mm -hmm. that's very simplified, but I'm curious how your work supports a move towards a more plant-based diet for at least Americans. Well, I mean, the land use planning work I do is not specifically towards that, but sure. I, I mean, it is those stats. I don't know the exact numbers, but I think eating a more plant-based diet is a good thing all the way around. Better mm -hmm. for your health, better for the environment, emissions, et cetera. One thing I think is that is probably important to point out that I can speak to with our research is mm -hmm. that it's not only about the total amount of land that's used for a particular use. Mm -hmm. It's how it's used. And you kind of touched upon that at a more at a more local scale, mm -hmm. like how we use the land for soil conservation, but also where. So it's the total amount and the configuration of land use that matters. Mm -hmm. So if we can, that's where strategic planning can really help 
the need for land for agriculture will increase. So where can we use this land? How can we plan so that we maintain the connectivity of systems that support biodiversity and function so that we can produce services like clean air, clean water, pollination, et cetera? You know, it's it's thinking about landscape as as habitat versus us separating ourselves completely from it. Mm-hmm. You know, agriculture can be used by some pollinators. So they pollinate our crops, but it's also useful to some pollinators. There are species of animal that use agricultural lands to move across a landscape or for food. Mm-hmm. You know, there are small mammals, insects, et cetera. So we really need to stop the mindset of thinking as if there is a divide of good and bad on the landscape. Sure. Not the development is good for us necessarily, but sure. there's a way that we can use this landscape so that a forest can maintain its size and its connectivity or um, we, we don't break apart access to agriculture for humans. You know, we need to be able to see our farms as well. So can we maintain access? That's an equity question for us to understand where our food comes from or access to recreation in these forests. Um, so configuration matters. Sure. Local land management practices are also very, very important. But I think that that's also a big ask you know, at the scale at which we need to be making change and um, how quickly we need to be acting. So this is where like, you know, research on what are the big sweeping questions we can ask? How can we change our general land use practices so that we can conserve the most resources and the places Mm -hmm. that are most valuable and most accessible is really what we need to be thinking about in terms of landscape scale conservation. And that's agriculture development, forestry, et cetera. Sure. Sure. That's a pretty good uh, segue. Speaking of action, uh, let's get into action uh, as far as what our listeners can do uh, to take action. We always want to provide, you know, very specific steps uh, that everybody can take to support you and your mission uh, with their with their voice, both their voice and their dollar. So um, let's get into that. Uh, Starting with their voice. Yada, what can what are the big uh, and actionable specific questions that we can all be asking of our representatives to to support you and what you're trying to do and what you are doing. Have you consulted science in your decision making process? I mean that should be like the number one <laughs> No, it question. sounds insane and we all laughed at it, yeah. but I mean that that is so fun from like a city council have you consulted on up level science? like wh- ask, put them on the spot. Yep. Um, that seems so simple and obvious. <laughs> there are people like me, there are uh, many people like me that think about land use planning. So um, the resources are out there. Hey, for everybody in Northwestern Virginia, I have resources for you. Come mm-hmm. find me. Yes. <laughs> so the resources exist. I think being really transparent and present. I have gone to a few planning meetings, and unless there is a pressing issue, like the development of a pipeline or a comprehensive plan where they feel like, you know, perhaps government isn't considering their needs over those of large companies, People don't seem to show up. Mm-hmm. I think that showing up is probably going to make a very significant impact. Mm-hmm. So instead of just commenting on Facebook about complaints, you know, being present, showing up, having your face be seen mm-hmm. is really, really important. So when they, when, when, when their city council representative basically refuses to answer them, um, specific to you and, and your efforts, where are resources where they could then tell them, well, why don't you go to blank to start to do some research? 
Or how could they arm themselves when they go to a meeting, a county planners meeting or whatever it might be? Where specific places they can go to start to, you know, go matrix style. I know Kung Fu. Yep. I, well, it's going to be different depending on the region. But For um, sure. But if you're in Northwestern Virginia, look up the Changing Landscapes Initiative and send us an email. Okay. Um, and I think there are probably resources like that in other places. Um, but I, unfortunately, this this field of science where there aren't a lot of people that are doing research in the way I'm doing research, mm-hmm. um, where we are trying to produce information for the use of, of planners to this degree. Mm-hmm. I think, I know it's really scary, but, and we need to be more transparent in order to allow people to find us is step one. And then if you're a public citizen listening to this podcast, you know, scientists like me doing research and policy want to hear from people. So, I mean, we, we need to make time for it. And I, but I would not be afraid of saying, Hey, I am a citizen and I live here and I was doing some research online and I found, you know, this article about you, or I read about your orchid surveys or, um, you know, I read that you do land use work or I found a paper and I want to know, you know, is this real or is there access to information that I can bring to my, my county representatives or something? Mm-hmm. I, I would not turn you away. And I know there are many scientists that would not turn you away. So reaching out from both sides. And unfortunately, it's just really not as accessible as I'd like it to be. Sure. Well, that costs money and takes time. Yeah. But there are also other people that are, you know, not in the pure science field who are working on your lands. So this is the parks service. This is the forest service. These are state parks. These are city parks. These are your, you know, soil water conservation districts. There are extension agents that are partners with the university that are available for these land grant based universities across the country. Their job is to be the bridge between science and the public and planners. Um, So I think it requires a bit of an internet search, but that's where I would start. Okay. No, that's helpful, which is, you know, again, honesty and, and, and ignorance saying like, that doesn't quite exist yet, but we're trying. And these are places to at least start your Google search. Everybody can Google search. Can they? Well, yeah. most people, right? <laughs> um, uh, and, and uh, doctor, what about, uh, what about their dollar? Um, Obviously, you talked about how funding is uh, and can be difficult for most science uh, endeavors. So how can how can our listeners help you specifically? I would say that there are there are from the very from the small scale when you're going to a park, pay for access to the park. That the, that those fees are important for the maintenance yeah. of park systems. Mm-hmm. Um, these these park managers are operating on very little, um, and those that goes to actually primarily towards increasing your access to those parks. Mm -hmm. I would say anything that's involved in bridging, you know, increasing access to youth or those who are typically have less access to the outdoors would be a really great use of your money. So programs that are designed to bring people and connect them to the environment, whether that's um, a gardening program and your school that introduces kids to how to grow a tomato or what is a pollinator are really important um, uses of your dollar on a very small scale. I would say, you know, it, plant, when you're planting your own garden, plant native. Take It's only a few dollars to go purchase a few native plants for your region. You can right. find native mm-hmm. nurseries online. 
Um, most of the time there are fairs accessible and these nurseries are open by appointment. One of the goals of what we're trying to do is increase that access for plant material. But if you think about it like this, most of the land in the United States is privately owned. So how can we use that land to the best of our ability? Don't dismay if you only have a 10 by 10, you know, foot plot in your backyard. Mm -hmm. One person can make a difference to help people perceive the landscape. Planting native will bring in wildlife, will change the way that people view what land is. Um, when I for the, when I see for the first time, somebody's eyes light up because they've made that connection between growing something and humans want to be connected to this earth. Mm -hmm. It's transformative and you can never go back from that. So one person plus one person plus one person equals a community and communities across the globe can fight for change. So these are really small things that can really have true impact on um, your your world. So making change where you are in your own back, backyard, I think, is the where to start. Love that. I love it. Yes. All right. Let's, uh, I don't know, let's, let's start wrapping it up. We've kept you for so long. So long. And we are so uh, grateful that you, that you came on today and chatted with us. Um, you can't leave yet uh, because we have <laughs> a, a, a lightning round. Quinn, are we still calling it a lightning round? <sighs> I like to ask every time, even though it's, here's the deal. Look, Brian, my to-do list is. Oh, uh, it's always about the to-do list. Look, I've got, I've got to figure it out. Okay. Um. Hey, you you actually mentioned that there's a a a, a number of uh, mentorship and internship things going on. Um, mm -hmm. Are there a specific leader program or just other awesome programs that are out there across the Smithsonian or anything else uh, where you would encourage people to get involved? Yes. Um, Smithsonian does have an office of fellowships and internships. It, I think it's on a running. It's like a. There's no deadline. Basically, you apply and they try to find times, find places to fit you. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're interested in ecology or conservation, you know, the Conservation Biology Institute is uh, located here in Front Royal and also the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. Um, we have institutes in various locations across the globe. So don't be shy. I think there's a I think there's this funny thing where if you feel like you're not quite smart enough or good enough for a position, other people feel the same. So you may actually be very likely to get a position. Awesome. Let's do it. So that's, there's that. Um, there are lots of opportunities for internships and people are constantly looking for, for, uh, for support paid and unpaid. Is the Smithsonian find paid. Is the Smithsonian stuff. And I might just be um, theme here is ignorance. Is it, is it uh, exclusively uh, DC based or is there extensions of it around the country, the world? Yes, there are, are multiple locations. We have several in North America um, and across the globe, there are field stations. Awesome. That's very helpful. Yeah. You learn something new every day, Brian. Every single day. I told you. Okay. I told you she's well, going to be great. Uh, okay. uh, awesome. All right. Last few questions. Look, I don't know if it's a lightning round. There, there's got to be a different name for this thing. Yada, when was the first time in your life when you realized you had the power of change or the power to do something meaningful? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I um, moved away from my home when I was 18 and drove up to Seattle with a couple of bandmates. Cool. <laughs> I, um, Amazing. I was set, all set to go to college and I decided I wasn't quite ready. So I attended the WTO riots in Seattle in 1999. And um, that was a 
that opened my mind up completely, that there are people so passionate about making other people's lives better. That uh, that was my real aha moment, I think. Um, taking a step back, what instrument did you play? I play keyboards and I'm a vocalist. Oh. oh. And this was, you were heading up to Seattle, you said? Yeah. And was it in the, when was this? This was 1999. Oh yeah, so we're we're talking grunge. Oh yeah, such yeah, an yeah. epic <laughs> era of music. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah, I, I played prog rock. Prog, prog rock. rock. Yeah. 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 All about it. Found where, our episode title right where there. Where is your music? How do we listen to it? From prog rock to compost. How to Boom. fix your soil? Uh, no. Done. Amazing. Yeah. That's what you think, That's lady. That's so awesome. Um, this is amazing. So wait, what happened to your musical? Why did you get into dirt? What what happened to playing music, man? Um, I I still play occasionally. I'm pretty busy now, but yeah, um, and, and, and enough. You got to have a hobby though. You can't just yeah. be saving the world every day. Yeah. You didn't include. We'll get into that. You didn't include your keyboards in your weekly assessment when Brian said, "What do you do?" That's true. Yeah, I, you know it's true. I don't. Um, I still sing. Yeah, you know, I, I was performed at a friend's wedding a, a few months ago. But oh, cool. Yeah, I've I've put it aside for now. It's not it's not the ideal. But I played in Seattle for a few years, had several bands until, you know, until basically I moved out, out here, out east. And it's been tons of fun. And, you know, bandmates are, they're your brothers and sisters. And it's playing music and reading someone's music as you're actively in it with them is a completely different language. And if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. Are you saying that if we fix climate change, you'll go back to playing in a band? Hell yeah. <laughs> Brian. I'm, I know. We're I, trying. I told you, man. <sighs> I'm sorry. He's just, he's got. I have high hopes. Um, yeah. This is fantastic news. All right. Well, um, maybe we should get her to do a keyboard outro for us. Or something. Yes. That'd be so cool. <laughs> that sounds amazing. All right. Yeah. Who is someone in your life that has positively impacted your work in the past six months? This <laughs> is. Pretty cheesy, but my husband um, is my biggest fan. Husbands yes. love a good shout out. Yeah, that, that's so amazing. Yeah, yeah. So um, tell us so, why he's great. Uh, he works his ass off for me to make the things that I, I want to happen happen, to make them a reality. So um, nobody in my life has ever had as much faith in me as he does. Man, that's so cool. Yeah, that's real nice. That's <laughs> real nice. Um, Doesn't get better than that. I love it. I hope that I know the answer to this question because I just, in my head, I'm imagining you just fucking pounding away what on the keyboard. What happens when we assume, Brian? All right, all right, all right. What do you do when you feel overwhelmed, Yada? What's, what's your, your self-care? What's your self-care, your Yada time? Well, sometimes it is listening to death metal in the car with the windows rolled yes! up. Yes! <laughs> uh. Give us a go-to um, track. Is it new uh, stuff? Is it old stuff? Oh, I'm... <laughs> I'm so stuck in the era of nine, late 90s, early 1000s, so... Let's go. Um, yeah, I well, Tool. I listen to Tool a lot. Yeah. Amazing. Did you listen to the yeah. new album? No, I have not. Oh, you'll mm-hmm. have to check it out. Yeah, I will. Yeah, Brian's I will. disappointed with every music choice I play in the office. No, I'm not. I love your music choices. <laughs> Tool's um, great. There's some great Tool. Um, have you seen Yada? Do you watch television? Yes, I do. I love TV. What kind of question? Do you, some people don't watch TV. What are you talking about? I don't need your constant judgment. I let judgment. you write one question. <laughs> Um, have you seen Dead to Me with Christina Applegate? Chris, Dead to Me. Dead to Me. It's a Netflix think... show. And she, like, one of her things is to just, like, get in her car when she's, like, 
you know, not doing well and just rock out to like heavy metal. <laughs> Wait, is this the one with the two girlfriends? Yeah. Yes, I know that show. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. Pretty yes. great. That's just, I totally just felt I that. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Good. Um, yeah. Oh, that's a great answer. Music is, <laughs> Music always helps. Awesome. And then uh, here's one. Uh-huh. If you could Amazon Prime one book to Donald Trump, Ooh. what would it be? Assuming somebody will read it to him mm-hmm. and it will have an impact. Mm-hmm. A lot of assumptions there. I know. And we just talked mm-hmm. about what I think Rachel does. Carson's Silent Spring. Ah, oh, it's so good. Boom. Uh, yeah, we've got mm-hmm. that at least one of them. I think so, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. Awesome. Uh, again, we've kept you long enough. Last question. Anything, uh, a, f- a few lines, uh, Anything you want to say to speak truth to power uh, to the people out there that you haven't said? Um, there are a lot of people who are trying very, very hard to change the way that systems that don't work for us in a way, change them in a way that will work for us. So if you are a young scientist or you're a member of the public or um, you are wondering, is there anybody out there that understands that how things have been going is not working? Yes, there are. There are people like me. Um, you may not hear from us very often, but we're there working in the sidelines to try to make change happen for all of you. So th- there are a lot of people who care very intensely and very deeply and who are not going to give up. Ah, that's yes. so good. That's so good. Um, so helpful and necessary. Thank you for that. We, we really <laughs> appreciate it. Uh, where can our loyal fans follow you on the internet? Um, well, you, it's, there's only one of me, I think, with my name. So I think <laughs> that's going to point you it. directly towards my Twitter account. Um, you can find our nursery at sevenbends.org. And then if you want to learn about the work I'm doing with Smithsonian, it's uh, Changing Landscapes Initiative at okay. the Smithsonian Conservation Biology Institute. Rock Boom. and roll. Brian, you got any other questions you want to ask that you didn't tell me about? I mean, probably. Okay. Listen, this has been great. Uh, yeah, but thank you so much. Yes, I'll save them for later. <laughs> <laughs> time uh for all that you're doing out there um uh you know on on the on the grander level and obviously digging in the dirt as well um both are pretty pretty vital but we believe in you you're you're going to do it we're going to do it thank you for uh the question that i think everybody should ask themselves before they do anything ever have you consulted science yep just yep. the best pretty helpful um well listen enjoy the rest of that is there any of that bloody left just a tiny bit. <laughs> yeah. Maybe time for a second one. Um, you got the whole I'm ready. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to the backyard to start gardening. I was just going to say, I hope, yeah, yeah, good. I hope you have Who fun knows in the what's garden. going in the ground? She's going to wake up in the morning and be like, what are these peppers? Who you knows? got any uh, You got any yellow fringed orchids out there? Any oh. downy rattlesnake plantains? Okay. Any crane flies? Listen, it's been so great. Enjoy the rest of your day. I got to go deal with this guy. Um, All right. Thank you. Thank you, doctor, again, very much. Uh, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you both. I appreciate the work you two are doing through this podcast to connect people. Oh, well, literally the very least. Yeah, the very least. Thank Um, you for being you. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thanks to our incredible guest today. And thanks to all of you for tuning in. We hope this episode has made your commute or awesome workout or dishwashing or fucking dog walking late at night that much more pleasant. As a reminder, please subscribe to our free email newsletter at importantnotimportant.com. It is all the news most vital to our survival as a species. And you can follow us all over the internet. You can find us on Twitter at importantnotimp. Just so weird. 
Also on Facebook and Instagram at Important Not Important, Pinterest and Tumblr, the same thing. So check us out, follow us, share us, like us, you know the deal. And please subscribe to our show wherever you listen to things like this. And if you're really fucking awesome, rate us on Apple Podcasts. Keep the lights on. Thanks. Please. <laughs> and you can find the show notes from today right in your little podcast player and at our website, importantnotimportant.com. Thanks to the very awesome Tim Blaine for our jam and music, to all of you for listening, and finally, most importantly, to our moms for making us. Have a great day. Thanks, guys. 